I'm Sharon Batters, and you were listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. At Mark Inc., our vision is to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And we have uh, what we call our Help and Hope uh, audio library, which is our podcast. And in it are many, many free resources, especially designed to offer help and hope to those who are experiencing life crises that are often experienced in isolation, where people don't know what to do to come alongside of that person. And the person, for whatever reason, is often reluctant to even let others know about their pain. And so today, we are gonna be talking about one of those life crises, and it's heavy, as many of our resources are, but this is really heavy. I don't think I realized how heavy until I started looking at some of the statistics. Our topic is uh, domestic abuse. And I was shocked to read that uh, 20 people every minute in America experience some sort of domestic abuse. And when you add that up, that's 10 million events in a year. That's, that's overwhelming, I can't get my head around it. And then that one in four women experience or will experience domestic abuse. We're not even talking about the men who have experienced this kind of abuse. So today we wanna to talk about women. And my guest today is Darby Strickland, who is passionate about coming alongside women who are experiencing domestic abuse, but even more equipping the church to come alongside and to recognize that if it's one in four women in the, in the country, then it's probably one in four women in the pews of our churches. And it's a hidden, hidden pain. And so Darby's passion is to help us recognize the abuse and to come alongside those who are experiencing abuse. She comes with some great credentials. She works for the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. She has written booklets on domestic abuse. She has worked with a team to develop a free online seminar study that is designed to help leaders who come alongside women who are abused. So she is passionate about her calling, and I'm so grateful Darby, that you are with us today. Thanks for having me and just even being willing to talk about something so dark. Before we jump in to our topic, I'd like to hear a little bit about your life, what gives you joy, because when you're dealing with such darkness, there has to be some light there. So you have a book coming out. I'd like to share with our listeners what that book is. Sure. Yeah. First, what gives me joy? I'm a homeschooling mom of three kids, and I, that's, I love it. I love having them around me. And they just are fun. It just, I can't even talk enough about how much I adore them. My eldest went off to college this year, so that was hard, but we've adjusted and it's just been, it's just been sweet to be able to watch your children blossom and grow. And, and then I just love, so doing work that I do, self-care is really important. And so we often find ourselves by water or in gardens and really just folks taking it, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, being really present in creation. And my husband's been really good in making sure we get out and go to places and just really take in the beauty. Mm -hmm. Particularly in this last year, I've been working on this book um, that's going to come out in the fall entitled, Is It Abuse? And again, just spending days retelling people's stories um, with the passion for the church to learn and to see. But it's hard 
um, to be working on something like that on a daily basis over a long period of time. So just really taking respite in the sweet spot. Well, that's a good model. I think that's a good model for all of us when we're in up to our necks and it's a calling. Mm-hmm. You, you have a calling. You probably can't do anything else but invest your life into this really dark place. Why are you so passionate? about domestic abuse and helping those who have been abused and helping churches? Well, for two reasons. One, I think the Lord just gave me a lot of victims when I was a young counselor. And I was just really aware that they needed care and protection and what better places in their churches that could offer it. Churches are kind of uniquely set up to care for the whole person, um, their spiritual well-being, their physical well-being, the resources that they need. And then just recognizing churches didn't really understand when I bring a woman to them and saying, this is what's going on, it usually took me 10 to 20 conversations for the light bulb to kind of go off and say, oh, now we get it. And that would usually be a pastor with tears in his eyes saying, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I'm grieved now that we're halfway through this. So I just decided the church really needs some sort of systematic way of understanding abuse. Um, you know, it's culturally, it's, it's hard for them because it comes, you know, in our culture with an agenda. Um, and so really wanting to do biblical work to love pastors and churches well so that they could tend to their sheep well. Well, one of the things I realized is that the statistics that I shared earlier are about domestic physical abuse doesn't include verbal and emotional abuse, which is astounding. So why don't you help us understand what do we mean by domestic abuse? Great question. Everyone was asking me, is this abuse, right? And we can't really draw a line in the sand. Some things are really clear. You know, if you're choked by your spouse, it's really clear that's physical abuse. But if someone's driving you in a car roughly and making you afraid, you know, there's these other gray areas. Or if they've just used profanity, are they really being abusive or are they just being explosively angry? And so I think it's really important that we understand what's at root in abuse. And when domestic abuse is when there's a pattern of coercive and controlling behaviors that's used by I'll say a husband to gain or maintain power and control in the relationship. And that can be a lot of different behaviors. It can be physical, sexual, emotional, financial, spiritual. It can also look like extreme neglect, right? Anything that you can behaviors that you're using to dominate, Um, but they have to be perpetual and they have to be somebody who has power in the relationship. Why is it so hard to really to identify like for the abused woman to be able to identify, I am a victim of abuse. Why is it hard for her to identify herself in that place or then even to acknowledge it to somebody else? Mainly, I'm going to focus on the idea of Christians. We know as Christians that we're sinners, right? And so typically we're taught to think about we're having a conflict with someone and we're asked, how did you contribute to that conflict? It's just the way that we naturally think I'm aware of it in my parenting. I'm aware of it in my marriage. Then you add the level of an oppressor is going to be telling her, I'm so angry because you blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't have thrown that at you if you weren't so stupid. I wouldn't have to you know, violate you sexually if you weren't such a prude. So they create this confusion and they add this blame by making the victim feel responsible for things that they're not responsible. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, I say we mix our own total depravity with the accusations that are coming at us. And it's really hard for a victim to kind of peel back what is true. And and it's just really, really confusing. And then over time, victims will 
they will resent or they'll be angry. And I'm like, I don't like my husband. Maybe if I was softer towards him, he wouldn't be so hard with me. So they really do everything and anything to think, how am I contributing to this? Which is the wrong way of looking at it because we can't make another person sin against us. The Bible's really clear. It's, it's not possible. What comes out of a person is from within them. We're talking about a topic that is as big as the ocean. And so really my purpose in this conversation with you, Darby, is like salty peanuts. I want the listeners to realize, wow, this is big and this is huge and I need to know more. And so we're going to have links to resources that Darby recommends on our website, uh, in our program notes for you to go to. But give us a little bit of an idea of what, what are some of the traits of a woman who is abused, who is not talking about the abuse? You know, help us to begin to recognize uh, the possibilities. So typically when a woman actually comes to see me for counseling, she comes in for anxiety she comes in for guilt. She comes in because she's having panic attacks. Her body is actually telling her, sound the alarm well before she's making the connections in herself. I think the woman in particular, she was having migraines at the end of every day. And we just backed it up and we said, what's happening? Well, my husband's about to come home. Well, what does that require? Well, my husband, my house has to be impeccably clean. My children have to greet him. I have to make sure I meet at the door. She has to just meet all these expectations. And so she's not necessarily recognizing that the demands on her are unreasonable, but her body is feeling the weight of what's being asked or the anxiety is, my, her parenting's criticized. She's feeling like I'm being a bad mom because her husband's constantly lecturing her or questioning her faith. And so she just starts to have all these internal questions that kind of come out sideways. Very rarely has a woman sat with me and said, I think my husband's being cruel and that's why I'm struggling. So her presentation is that she's a failure. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking about in the context of the Christian faith, how mm-hmm. that could happen. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I just think about myself as a young uh, Bible study teacher and talking about being a godly woman and the virtuous woman and all those things. And sometimes I wish I could go back and redo it some because I think there's a great burden that we sometimes put on women that is not, of course, we want to reflect Christ, but how, so how do you define the difference? You know, how are you able to say, okay, there's, I think there's some abuse going on here we need to deal with. Well, I like to slow everything down because oftentimes, like you're saying, you think about the woman in the woman's Bible study, who's usually bringing you the content of a disagreement. She's saying, my husband and I don't agree about X. And we usually tell her, we'll pray for unity or I'm really having a hard time respecting my husband with how he's dealing with finances. Well, maybe do this or ask the Lord, you know, entrust your finances to the Lord. We rarely ask, what does it look like when you're talking about finances? Mm -hmm. Well, he's screaming at me. Well, what words is he saying? Well, where is he? What's happening? We don't get the screenplay of what's going on in the room. We usually get the content. So one of the things I just tell people is ask detailed questions. Also in marriage, I, you know, we can all say, yeah, that's happened to me too. And this is how I've dealt with it. So I always tell people, wait, ask, don't relate to your own marriage. Just say, has this ever happened before? How often does this happen? Tell me, give me another example. Because any one incidence of abuse can seem reasonable. It's like the constellation of how it all piles up to be controlling. And, and you can't learn how someone is devalued 
and controlled unless you ask broader contextual questions. I think you're raising a really good point because in my church, in my denomination, we have sessions, we have elder rule and a woman who may recognize that, okay, something is wrong in my marriage and maybe is counseled by a friend and they go and they realize it's time to talk to the session and the men kind of respond. And I'm not being critical because they haven't been trained to observe and equip, but they're thinking, well, I I did that. I I didn't threaten the way she's taking it. Somehow it happens that the woman is the one that ends up being disciplined instead of the perpetrator. How does that happen? And what do you think we can do as a church to kind of turn that ship around? Well, two things. I think one is the way that perpetrators work, right? They are so blind to their own sin, they don't believe they have one. And they're master blame shifters. So if the church approaches a potential oppressor and is asking them questions, they're great at playing the victim about placing blame elsewhere. They're not humble. But an elder should realize, they should hear that and be like, but I just told you your wife was crushed. How is that affecting you? Again, we're not dealing about the content of the argument. We're dealing with like the attitude of the person's heart. But giving people those layers of questions is just so vital and it changes the story. Another is good men cannot imagine the evil that these bad men do. And they don't know these men as bad actors, right? Oppressors are pretenders. They wear a mask in public. They're pious. And at home, their children and their wives see a different reality. So it's hard for elders who are like, I've played golf with this guy. He's been in church 20 years. They cannot imagine the evil that he's up to. And so usually it takes a victim writing out 20 stories. And again, as things pile up and as they begin to interact with the oppressor who shows no concern for their victim, can they begin to see something's not right? Are you sensing as you talk to leaders in different churches and maybe women's ministry leaders and with the message that something has to change, that there is this great darkness that is hidden, but the church is called to come alongside the oppressed? Are you sensing an openness to the message that you're bringing, that they're saying, yes, we need help in in learning how to do this? Very much so. I'm really encouraged by the direction that the church is taking. And they're able to just say, this is sin, and this is such a serious sin. And the Lord calls us to protect the vulnerable. I mean, that's what Jesus did. It's just so clear in his ministry. And when you lay it out that way, they're moved. I mean, they're overwhelmed because it's a hard, you know, what do you do? It's a complex issue. Most people I encounter, they want more education. They want more training. They want to get it right. And that's been really encouraging. In your book, one of your booklets, you call uh, it's Domestic Abuse, Recognize, Respond, and Rescue. And we've talked a little bit about recognizing. And I think, you know, so much counseling goes on on at a kitchen table, you know, friend on friend. And what I'm hearing you say is, as a woman who knows the Lord, when your friend talks about being a failure and all those things, go deeper. Don't just go with, well, everybody fails and everybody messes up and it can't be that bad. You know, asking those very specific questions. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that you talk about that in your book, that you give specific questions that, that we can ask as friends. Yep, definitely. 
in this culture, uh, like I'm thinking about the Me Too culture, you know, mm-hmm. that I think that's another barrier for yeah. church leadership because of the message that, you know, if a woman says it, it's true. There is mm-hmm. no, no need for any kind of discussion or evidence that man is guilty. And so there's a reluctance there to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak, right. which I, I think that's a good thing. I, I like what you said, go slow, but you're, mm-hmm. that you were saying go slow. So, so recognizing, so as a friend, I'm recognizing my friend is in a really painful place and I feel so ill-equipped to help her. Your second step is respond. What do you mean by that? So you're kind of getting to that. So the first way you're going to respond is you're actually going to really be listening and you're going to be asking deeper questions. And, and you know, are you afraid to disagree with your husband? You talked about, you know, we can get some of those questions and some of my other resources. But the first way you're responding is you're actually going to learn from the victim their story and you're going to help them tell it because victims often tell things disorganized. They're confused by what's happening. So as a good friend, you're just saying you're suffering. I'm not understanding. Tell me more. Tell me more. I don't think I get it yet. Would you say this? And if you can almost help them organize their story in such a way. So, you know, when did this start? What was the dating like? And you can start to actually take notes for them that'll actually help them map out their life so that when they have to come forward to a counselor or the church and ask for help, they'll be able to be more organized and have a linear story to tell versus their own confusion. So, and I think women, we're very patient with one another. We don't mind the repetition. You know, when someone's hurting, they tell the same things again and again until it makes sense to them. And that's just a gift that we can give one another is just sitting with. That's one way to respond. Um, another is just to find out who in your community is trained, has done this work, and connect victims to experts. You know, if they're worried about the safety, call the domestic abuse hotline and ask questions. You know, should be we worried about this person's safety? Is there a risk of lethal violence? How can I be helping? Um, so oftentimes victims are so unsure, they lack confidence. Um, making those first steps on their own is really overwhelming. So sitting with them while they make the call, you know, connecting them to expert help is is really critical. What I'm hearing you say is this is an all-in place for a friend. You have to be all-in. Uh, you can't get tired of the phone calls. You have to be all-in. And and I also sense that when in a church situation that a woman needs to go with a woman if she's going to be talking to her pastor or the session, especially if it's the session, that she does not go by herself, that she has someone to come alongside of her. But it's so ideal, right? Because you're taking a woman who has been oppressed by male authority and she's afraid. She's afraid of the men. So she's going to get into a room and these men have to discern her story and they need to ask her questions. But she's not going to experience that like you or I would be asking. If someone asked me a question, I'd be like, oh, they want this verified information. She's going to say, is he doubting me? Maybe I have it wrong. I'm not perceiving this correctly. By having another woman there, it just softens it. She can she can fill out the details of the woman's forgetting in the minute that she had shared previously because she's going to feel pressure that most of us wouldn't understand because we don't have husbands that treat us that way. And we don't relate to men that way. So vital to have another woman there. Yeah, I'm thinking about um, a a woman who, she never experienced physical abuse, but the emotional and verbal abuse, I mean, it just put her into a puddle on the floor. And it took months Mm -hmm. of helping her tell her story, exactly like you said. And 
I love what you're saying, uh, Darby, about how we, if we're not in that kind of a relationship, we can't even, we can't get our heads around it. And it's too appalling for us to think about. And we don't want to think about it. We and don't. Oftentimes when, when someone starts to share a story, we kind of shut them down. We give them a solution. We don't say, tell me more. <laughs> exactly. But we really need to be saying, tell me more. And that's what Jesus did. He walked to the hard places the dark places. And, and this is a ministry that we have to go to the dark and talk about evil things, but it's a way that we model Christ for people. I think probably one of the reasons why we don't say, tell me more is because we know that if they do, we are going to have an obligation to walk with them or help them. And we know that it's not going to be simple or easy. One of the things that we lost our son, Mark, when he was 16 years old in a fatal car accident. And one of the things that people who came alongside of us told us was that it was terrifying. It was exhausting. You know, after all, it was the pastor and his wife. Who were they to walk with us? And yet we desperately needed them. But the blessing was they said that the treasures that God was giving us, they experienced as well. They weren't just bystanders, they were participants. And I can see that anytime that God calls us to walk in such a dark place with a friend Keep our eyes and ears open because of the treasures that he is going to give to us along the way. But it is going to be painful. Uh, what you're talking about is calling to a very painful, time-consuming ministry. And yet the Lord calls us to be Jesus yeah. to the person. I, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And so, I like in that, like you're saying, to the cross, right? It's such a horrible thing to look at, but it's yet such a beautiful thing at the same time. Yeah. The cross, cross holds those tensions. Yes. yes, you're absolutely right. They're, they're yeah. both. So we have a hard time understanding it, but there's such a beautiful blessing that God gives to yeah. us. Total Definitely. privilege. Total, yeah. total privilege. Yeah. So we've talked about um, the recognizing and responding. Now, rescue, we touched on that a little bit, but what would that look like if you could say this is the perfect way for someone to rescue uh, that hurting woman? So the way we think about rescue is that we want to restore a victim's agency. So oftentimes we see someone struggling in their marriage and me in particular, I want to jump in and pluck them out or give them the solution, but their oppressor's already been dominating them and telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and victims are very slow. Like I've probably counseled some women one or two years before they're ready to come forward and ask their church for help. So what does the rescue look like? It looks like giving her a way that she can tell her story to the Lord, pray about it to give her words so she can talk, be restored, you know, just vertically to the Lord. It, it can look like a lot of different things. There's no formula. We can't solve oppression. You know, sometimes women say, I don't want my abuser confronted because that's going to make my life for me and my children too difficult. So then the rescue looks like, how do we support her as a church? She's choosing this path of suffering. How do we help hold her up over the long run um, and love her and, you know, supplement her life? Other times we have to move in for safety reasons. She has to flee for a separation. And it's really dictated by how well a victim is doing. You know, how is their body doing? How are they doing spiritually? Um, and you know, some women are just drowning and they're crushed by the weight of it. Other women build a life and a life and they suffer, but not with the same intensity. And it doesn't, it doesn't correlate to the degree of the abuse. Really, it's unquantifiable. And so I can't say if this is happening. Um, but certainly, if there's certain modes of danger, I'm going to be saying, I'm going to work with experts to say, how do we help her flee? As we wrap up, is there hope for 
reconciliation is there hope for the abuser? So as Christians, we believe there's always hope, right? We believe we have the Holy Spirit. He can bring about change and abuse can, abusers can be redeemed. I mean, we've seen that in scripture through Paul, in a sense, right? That God can do these things. However, it is not likely. And so I like to be honest with my victims and say, good research says less than 10% of men, it would probably even be less than that, actually change. So we hope for change with all my counselees. I pray for change. But we also talk about what change would look like. It would look like, what does repentance really look like? It learns like confessing, confessing fully, not repeating the same behaviors, having empathy for the pain that he caused you. And there's beautiful markers of repentance. And you need to know in detail what they are. Because often when caught and exposed, oppressors will you know, well up with the crocodile ears and they'll, tears, excuse me, and it, but it'll be, they'll be sorry for themselves not the pain that they cause. And it, so it has to be sustained, measurable, concrete repentance over a period of time. And you can't miss it. We rejoice in it. We love to see it. But we also want to say it's not likely. When someone is oppressing for power and control, very few people really want to give that up and, and live in God's kingdom. They really prefer to live in their own. So it's just a reality that we, we walk that line of looking for it, hoping for it, verifying it over the long term but we have to be really wise and not, and we want good godly repentance. I want you to imagine that you're in your counseling mode, but talk to the woman who's listening or maybe even the man who's listening who might be the abuser. Um, But talk to the woman who's listening, who is, she's starting to see, I, I think, I think I might be what Darby's talking about. What would be her next steps? What would be, your comfort, your offer of encouragement to her? Yeah, I just say, start bringing it into the light in small ways. So start asking the Lord, like, I'm just not sure. My husband said this, did he get that right? Am I right? Is, could this be abuse? Is there something bigger going on here? And then think about what trusted friend could you have to bring in? Someone who's on the outside can kind of help and walk you with you. I've written a little mini book, Domestic Abuse for the Sufferer. Ask a good friend to read that with you and, and, and relay stories from your life and say, what are you thinking? I think that's a great help. Don't be afraid to you know, go to counseling and ask somebody, you know, what do you think? These are the kind of things that are occurring. If you're not ready to invite somebody else in, and most people, it takes a while, I just say start journaling. After an argument or something happens, just write down things that happened and just start to note patterns. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Journaling really helped me after the loss of our son, especially I had, I really was wrestling with the Lord and a friend said, why don't you work it out in your journal? Just write it out. And it took me a long time, but it was so helpful to, and then to have a record of it, to go back and see how the Lord met me there in those moments through scripture and his word. It's really powerful. It's a powerful tool. So as I said earlier, uh, I'm talking with Darby Strickland about domestic abuse and there's hope and there's help. And Darby has shared little bits of her counsel that she gives. And it's such a deep, deep topic. We have other resources that we want to recommend to you. Darby, you want to mention some of those and then we'll have links to them on our website. So if you're a victim, um, there's a book by Holcomb and Holcomb, Husband and Wife. Um, and it's called, Is It My Fault? And I think is a great book. He's a pastor, teacher, seminary professor. 
she's been done victim work. And that's the biggest question that victims have. So I would, I would really direct you there. If you work, um, if you're somebody in the church who needs more information, Chris Moles has a great book out, The Heart of Domestic Abuse, and that speaks to oppressors. And oftentimes that's just really helpful to understand how oppressors work. Again, a lot of victims, it's a secular book. A lot of people like it. Lundy Bancroft, why does he do that? And victims begin to read that and they're like, oh, this is a screen print play of my life. And they start to ask, answer some of those diagnostic questions. That's what's going on. Joy, Joy Forrest, too, she was a victim herself of physical abuse. She has a ministry in a book called Call to Peace. Leslie Vernick's another great one. The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. She has diagnostic questions in there. So, yeah, if you're a friend or you're someone who's saying, is this my life? I would just and then get the ebooks. You don't have to get the books lying around your house. I don't advise that for safety reasons. They could be on your Kindle, on your phone. And just start to ask, be brave enough to ask the hard question. Is this worse than I thought? Mm-hmm. Which is really courageous. It's a big step. That's Huge. Kind of what you just said. Uh, get the ebooks. See, I wouldn't have even thinking about leaving yeah. them laying around the house, you know, yeah. that the, the pain that that could cause. Thank you, Darby, so much for your words of encouragement and wisdom and direction for those who are struggling in a way that they may never have told anyone else. And, and these women are in our churches. And I'm so grateful to know that churches are wanting to be helped. And we'll have information on the website, on our website at markinc.org of how you can contact Darby or connect with some of the training that she has helped develop. It's very exciting to see how God is equipping his church to come alongside of broken women in, in who are experiencing abuse that we sometimes can't even imagine. You have been listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries, and I'm Sharon Betters. And It's been such a privilege to share our time with you. You can go to markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can find many, many free resources that are designed to help turn your heart toward Jesus, especially in those really dark moments of life. And it may be that you're not experiencing a, a midnight right now, but hearing the stories of others who have been redeemed, they're seeing their pain redeemed by their relationship to Jesus will encourage you to believe that you too can experience the same faithfulness of God. And these resources also will help equip you to come alongside those who are hurting. So go to markinc.org where you can find many, many more resources like this. And if this has been an encouragement to you, please let us know, pass it along, let others know about our resources and like us on Facebook, uh, Mark Inc. Ministries, where you can stay up to date on all the resources that we offer. So again, you've been listening to my conversation with Darby Strickland. I'm Sharon Betters, and thank you so much for sharing your time with us.